Hey, Corey here, and this is Everything is Marketing. Other marketing podcasts might give you the highlight reel or focus on a particular industry, strategy, or tactic, but this podcast explores marketing from every angle and allows you to get inside the head of the guest to really understand who they are and how they think. Look, most SEO tools are expensive, and you can't just rely on Google Search Console for everything because, let's be honest, it leaves you wanting more, like a lot more. Ahrefs Webmaster Tools is 100% free and gives you access to a ton of data for every website that you own. You'll be able to find what keywords your website ranks for, download your backlinks, and audit your sites without spending a dime. Check it out at ahrefs.com AWT. You can find the link in the show notes and tell them that Corey sent you when you sign up for your free account. On the show today is Arvid Call. Arvid previously founded and sold Feedback Panda, a SaaS that helps online school teachers handle student feedback. He wrote the book Zero to Sold and is now working on another book called The Embedded Entrepreneur. The thing I love about Arvid is that he always speaks from experience. Whatever he says or advises to someone else, he's done. He's a great source of wisdom on bootstrapping, SaaS, and building an audience. So you'll hear about why an audience-driven approach to building a business is a much better way to establish trust and build a validated product or service the marketing strategies for Feedback Panda, his book Zero to Sold, and other projects that he's been involved in. And I even played devil's advocate a bit and debate some criticisms of this kind of approach with building an audience and personal brands and things like that. All right. To start out, Arvin, I would love to know, did you ever think that you'd be teaching entrepreneurship for a living, quote unquote, whatever that means to you now, but for a living? Oh, no, really not. I, I never thought I'd be a writer either or or anything like not even an entrepreneur honestly like i when i started this whole thing i was essentially a software engineer that's all i knew that's all i wanted to do because i always was a computer person you know so software engineering was like the logical next step like if i can tell my computer what to do well wouldn't i be all powerful and i kind of <laughs> was and the jobs were awesome the projects were cool and then i kind of fell into this whole vc funded SaaS space and that was exciting and then i thought hmm what else is there and then i found bootstrapping and that was even more exciting because it was something that i could do by myself and you know it's just this kind of story of going from being like a really technical person, very limited, I guess, in, in retrospect, and just interested in technical stuff, like programming was all I wanted to do. And I guess online gaming, but that is, you know, a different story. But mm -hmm. it was really just coding, coding, coding. That's what I wanted to do and wanted to be. And then at some point I fell into entrepreneurship and with entrepreneurship, I, I had a lot of, a lot of failures that didn't work out. And then I had a couple successful things and then even more successful one. And that would be, I guess, the, the Feedback Panda story all around like building a SaaS to $55,000 in MRR and then, then selling it to a private equity company and, and having a big exit. So that was, that was amazing. But at, at that point, I thought I was kind of, that, that, that was what I was going to be, entrepreneur. But I fell into this whole, so what am I going to do now void at that point? And, and both me and my partner, Danielle, with whom I, I founded the, the business, we were in this kind of space of, okay, so we had this business now and we ran this for two years, 24-7, quite literally 24-7, just the two of us because we never hired anybody. And now we have nothing. We gave it away. We, we're well compensated. That's that's not the issue. But our passion for what we did, we couldn't just continue living it anymore because the company was owned by other people. Other people were doing the work. So I was trying to find something where I could channel my passion for helping people, which I had understood to be my thing in entrepreneurship. Like, like I literally built the tools for other people to save time. And if that isn't helping people, then what is, right? So yeah. that passion 
went into just really trying to figure out how I can continue doing this. And mm. I found Twitter. I found a community of people. I found, obviously, I was part of this community before, the, the indie hacker, bootstrapper, software engineer kind of space. But I was more a lurker, a person just listening and, and learning. It was great. I learned all the things I needed, but I never really communicated much in that space. So I kind of flipped the script and started talking about my own experiences and shared that with people on the blog and then on Twitter and getting getting more people interested. All of a sudden, I had a newsletter to hold myself accountable, getting more people interested. Some people asked me, hey, don't you want to do a podcast? I don't have time to read. So now I had a podcast too for some reason it just snowballed into this kind of community building audience building exercise and that's where i ended up but no i never thought it was going to be that it's just it turned out that if you follow your passion in doing whatever you will end up doing this on a different level just yeah where people are you'll find them and you can teach them that's that's where i am right now yeah, yeah. So, I, I love your kind of story because it's untraditional in the sense of you sort of flip to the, to the dark side a little bit, going from programmer <laughs> and technical side now to sort of marketer, audience builder, sort right. of community builder, and more a little bit more sort of forward-facing, external-facing. That gives me a great outline to work off of kind of based on your career, but I'd love to reverse just for a second, sort of pre-Feedback Panda, you had caught the entrepreneurial bug. What were some of the things that you worked on and why didn't they work out? Yeah, well, uh, as with all things that don't work out, I, I guess the reason is just lack of experience and lack of insight <laughs> and also not the right timing and maybe not the right people, not doing enough validation, all the errors you can make. Essentially, I, I've made them all. I had a couple projects with friends that we, we just founded a little company, both here in Berlin and Germany, where I live with my German friends. Obviously, as I'm a German, I have like a friendships that go way back and with those people sometimes ideas come up and then you, you build a little thing and we built a business trying to build a local food marketplace here in berlin where mm. farmers from around the city could sell their produce and their stuff into the city where all the hipsters and all the foodies are like people who actually want to have this nice local food and not just the cheap stuff from the supermarket but we approached it not necessarily the wrong way but with a lot naivete right we didn't really know how to build a two-sided marketplace that this would require bootstrapping both both sides at the same time and yeah we had no funding and we we tried to get some funding from the U european union and we got some but that was like then all of a sudden an, an act of bureaucracy where half of our time was spent signing forms so we could get the funding instead of building the product you know all these little mistakes not validating the market i i was a cto of the company and i forgot to implement a payment solution for a marketplace because we thought ah people would just like write invoices or something germany is complicated when it comes <laughs> to payments but you know it just there was a lot of stuff we didn't really think through too well and we built like half a product for the, the wrong people on both sides of the market. That was essentially mm -hmm. what that one thing was. And another project with, I built with different friends was like a little photojournalism file uploader. Because if you are like a, an actually embedded journalist, you, you are in a war zone or something. The best thing you have for, for sending files somewhere is like a satellite phone satellite telephone that you have somewhere in a hiding place or whatever. And we had a friend who was an embedded journalist at that time. So if you want to upload your file to multiple different agencies so they can take the photos that you made and compensate you for it when they use them in the news or something, you would have to upload files all, of, all over this weirdly 
restricted satellite phone. So we build a solution where people upload once and redistribute. That's essentially the idea. But again, we did no marketing really because we thought people would come, you know, I'd build it uh, and they'll become that kind of thing. And then one of the founders kind of split because they had a new job and the whole thing imploded. So there's a lot of these stories where we didn't take it too seriously because we didn't know that we could actually build something meaningful. We just built a little thing and at the first sign of trouble, everybody was out. That was kind of the experience before that. And quite it took me quite a while to get back into the entrepreneurial mindset because after these couple things happened, I went into, okay, maybe I should, should just be your software engineer. Maybe I should just really stick to what I know and I get a job. And I did some freelancing, I did some consulting. That was fine. It was enjoyable as, an, as a software engineer in particular because I didn't really need to code. I just needed to tell other people what to do. That was always fun. But mm. then uh, that was kind of a petering out because I found an opportunity to actually have a job in a, a really nice company in Hamburg in Germany, which is two and a half hours by train from Berlin where I live. And that was a job I had for like four years. And during that time, Feeder Panda actually happened as a side project. Because I had this this two and a half hour commute three times a week back and forth, which is like 15 hours. So I had a lot of time to listen to a lot of podcasts and read a lot of books. And what I found was that we had approached everything the wrong way in all these projects before. Like literally every single thing. But now here were those people telling me how to do it right. They're telling me about their actual journeys. Not just telling me what to do, but what they did and how they did it. So I kind of immersed myself in this community of successful founders or founders struggling to find success, but finding support in the community. And I just really took it all in for a couple of years. And then when the project happened here with, with Danielle, when, when she was an online teacher and she found this community of people that all had the same problem like she did, we jumped at it. We built something, but we built it right because we now had all this knowledge or I had it and she had knowledge as well that we could merge into something that would actually create this business that was sustainable and bootstrapped and kind of self-funded because people would immediately pay money for a solution to their actual meaningful critical problem. So that that really made a, made a big difference. Just having this this time of immersing myself in all of this real knowledge, not just abstract stuff, but like real firsthand information. Yeah, yeah, I love the the concept of immersion. I sort of I've had a similar experience with when I was in college. Still, I had a really long commute from sort of forty five minutes outside of uh, downtown, about thirty five minutes away from my school, and uh, for two years commuted back and forth, or actually, I mean, for four years, commuted back and forth to school. And then for two years, in and out of the office for about uh, an hour each way. And so it's the same thing. I was listening to podcasts and audiobooks for sometimes, you know, four hours a day, essentially. And yeah. that was, you know, really where you start to make the connections and figure things out. You start to recognize the patterns and it starts to all make sense a little bit. And as I understand it for Feedback Panda, I mean, you were on the technical side, Danielle, your partner was on sort of the business and marketing side, but can you give us an idea of like what the marketing strategy as it were was like for Feedback Panda and what got it to grow to, you know, I think you said 55,000 a month mm -hmm. in revenue. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, the one thing that is, I, I guess, the most important thing to understand here is that the audience that we were targeting, the teachers, online teachers were a highly tribally structured audience. Like everybody knew each other. They all talked about the same stuff. They were they, they were in communities, already established communities where they had like the superstar teachers and they would communicate with all everybody else and they would learn from each other. They would share stuff with each other. It was extremely tribal. And Danielle was already part of it. 
Like we literally were inside the community from the start. Her being part of this online teaching community, not just because she joined for random reasons, she joined because she was invited being an online teacher. So we right. were right there and everything in this community worked uh, by word of mouth. That was that was how our, our whole marketing strategy was to tap into word of mouth as much as possible. So from the beginning, we were there communicating in this community community. We were talking to people, figuring out what they need, understanding their needs. And then once we had something that worked for Danielle, built in the understanding that everybody else had the same problem. So we built it essentially for the whole community, like with the, the kind of restrictions and requirements that they had and that they voiced, but we built it as a prototype for Danielle. Once it worked for her, we just open it up because I had been building like SaaS like software platforms for, I guess, six, seven years at that point. Built that for my VC thing that I, that I worked for a company in in San Francisco. They were a SaaS business. Built it for the, the SaaS business that I consulted for, and built it for the SaaS business that I actually was employed. And I knew how to build a SaaS platform, right, with payment and billing and and just all user accounts and all that stuff. So that was quick to build. And the actual implementation of what Danielle needed to make her job easier was also not that complicated. It was just that nobody had ever thought of these people before. Nobody had ever hmm. thought of helping them because they were supposedly such a niche that it wasn't worth it for an established business to build something for them, right? At that point, when we started, there was maybe 5,000 online teachers teaching for this particular online, like Chinese online teaching school, right? It's mm -hmm. about like teaching Chinese kids English, Chinese kid English. That's the whole market that we kind of had in, had in mind. And they hire teachers from North America and from, from Britain, Australia and South Africa, and then they teach remotely through the internet. That's that's the whole point of, of this. And those teachers, they need help because they're essentially gig workers in a virtual global teaching economy. So everything that makes their life easier is a billable item, right? They can they can right. uh, deduct it from their taxes. It's essentially they're freelancers, but they're teachers. So they're not really freelancers yet. People don't understand themselves as freelancers when they're teachers. Software engineers, mm. sure. Everybody knows what a freelancer is. Marketers probably do. But if you're a teacher, and your whole life you've been sitting in a classroom and teaching kids, you don't all of a sudden understand yourself to be a freelancer. But we knew they were because they were gig workers for those Chinese companies. So we had a tribal com community of essentially self-employed people already highly engaged in conversation. And we built a, a laser-focused tool to solve their biggest problem, which was student feedback, reporting like how the student did to the parents, essentially. So yeah. the marketing we did, and we have a couple. I have a couple examples here. Was always focused on elevating the community and elevating teachers from within the community to the community. So we had this weekly newsletter about feedback panda essentially, but we really didn't talk about us first. We talked about the, the VI Panda, which was the, the teacher of the week. We kind of recruited them from our own customer base. We just wrote sometimes randomly, or sometimes we, we picked a, pick the person from our, from our user list and told them, hey, we want to feature you in, in this week's or a couple weeks um, from now in a newsletter. Can you just send us a nice picture of yourself and maybe your family and just tell us something about why you chose to be a teacher? Tell us a really cool story that got you to where you are right now. And every single week without fail, we would have this one story about a person in the community headlining the newsletter. And then we would talk about our product and maybe the changes we did. And then maybe we would put a blog post in there that we also released about, I don't know, like particular lessons and how to do like hand puppets kind of stuff to engage with kids, like all these little specifics, but we always led with people. And that, that made the newsletter, people shared it, people, the opening rates were crazy because it, they knew 
here's a person that I, that's like me. It's not about a company's product. It's about me and my people. Right? That was that was a big winner and also allowed us to communicate directly with our customers, obviously, right? Because if they have a newsletter that has a high opening rate, well, they probably will read through the, the product development stuff and they will uh, click on the survey button because they're now in this kind of state of mind where they read a really nice story and now they want to give back, right? The, the need to reciprocate is there. So we, we had good feedback on that too. We also used Intercom in the product. So we had a, a direct connection to our customers and that was elementary, particularly in the beginning. Like we just imagine we have like 40, 50 customers paying customers and one of them sees a problem, tells us through intercom, I immediately fix it. And, and like 15 minutes later, I deploy the fixed version, tell him, refresh the page, your problem is now fixed. Like the amount of jaws that dropped from this interaction reliably <laughs> over time is incredible because nobody expects to get any help in any customer service tool. And if somebody actually has a, like does something that you ask them to, you now have meaningful impact on a product that doesn't happen, right? Those people for whom that happened, they turned into the biggest evangelists that we could find. We couldn't hire a person to do their work for you because whenever somebody talked about cool tools for online teachers or student feedback, they would they would have our URL probably like on their speed dial or something. Like it was always there. They would do the marketing for us. Like we didn't mm. invest in paid ads. We didn't have like any like pay-per-click or nothing like that. We did some experiments with that, but it just didn't work. What worked was being nice to our customers and they would shout it from the rooftops. So everything was focused on that. And we, we at some point, even we had a, a, we built a referral system because we thought, hey, we have this whole word of mouth system going on. People already refer a product. They put a link there. Wouldn't it be nice to kind of give them something so they could actually benefit from that? And while we got some adoption, it didn't really change much. It was already a referral system without incentives. People just like to refer a product. And that, this is this interesting article by, by Ryan Kulp on the shareability, like on referral systems, right? And, and our system was inherently shareable because you didn't show that you were a bad teacher by using our tool. You actually showed that you are a good teacher who cares about their students, right? So that's in, in immediately shareable. It's, it's also, it's, it doesn't show that you're incompetent. It shows that you're professional. And that makes a big difference in a referral system because if you have a tool that you use because otherwise you couldn't keep up with other people, hey, you don't want to like talk about that in public, right? So a referral system wouldn't work in that, but it really worked well for us. And it, it already worked without having to have a referral system. Our, our system itself was inherently shareable and referable but we did that because we had we did a like a 50 percent price increase must have been yeah december 31st uh, 2017 18 or something i think it was 18 where we went from 10 bucks a month to 15 bucks a month for the the regular tier as a subscription pricing and we just wanted to give people like some means of trying to claw back those initial couple months of spending more money by inviting their friends and you know and it worked pretty mm. well and i think it's still extremely active and extremely valuable to, for the company that bought our business because it's, it's a, you know it's a self-perpetuating system but yeah we really didn't have to do it it just already worked w within this tribal highly engaged community yeah. Yeah. I love that example of, cause it basically shows how you had all the right ingredients and sort of the perfect storm to really facilitate and amplify that word of mouth. And it's, it's hard because, you know, you hear people say, oh, well, you just need 
word of mouth. Like it's something that can be engineered and it's not really something that it, it has to be inherent and sort of natural to the product and especially to the audience and the community. Yes. And so after you sold Feedback Fan, Feedback Panda, you started the Bootstrap Founder, which was mm -hmm. sort of this blog that was just an exploration of all of your learnings and lessons. And, and you went from doing very little traditional writing, as I understand, to publishing sort of this extensive blog that eventually turned into a book every week for quite some time. What was the writing process like and how did you sort of build that muscle? Yeah, I, I like I said, I didn't, consult, I didn't consider myself to be a writer. Only recently have I understood that I am one like having sold a book, like to many people. Right now, <laughs> I'd say kinda, so, yeah. Kinda, oh yeah, apparently that's what I am. But yeah, I didn't do much writing, particularly not in English, because I'm German, right? Like we did a lot of writing in school and stuff, but like English writing has never been my thing. But then again, if you're a software engineer, you write English, you just write it for a computer. And in, in all the kind of conversations that you have with other people in your field, in particular, if you run a global SaaS business, you kind of have to be fluent in English anyway to communicate with your peers and with your partners, your your, your, your customers, of course, and all the people involved in the business. But yeah, the one thing that I that I noticed while running Feedback Panda was that I had learned a lot. And I had a lot to say, but I didn't have the time to talk about it. Like I didn't even have the time to, to take notes or anything. The only things I did were for the business, like building documentation, internal docs for like essentially a playbook for the business and external documentation for the customers, like knowledge base and stuff. That kind of writing was enjoyable, but it certainly isn't long form writing on, a, on an interesting topic. But I had all these things that I wanted to talk about and I, I just didn't have the opportunity. But and, and then I sold the business or we sold the business. And here I was having a lot of time all of a sudden. So first thing we did, we went on a vacation because we didn't have one for two years. We, uh, we went to South Africa and had a lot, really nice time there, like a safari and to the country. And it was fun, but just a couple weeks. And then we came back and each did our thing. I immediately went into, okay, I want to write. I guess, because during running Feedback Panda, I took time to write one thing and that was a, a very long article on how I deal with anxiety and stress. Because in, mm. in the middle of all of this, I had, was like near burnout at some point. We were two people running a business with over 5,000 customers concurrently. It was a lot of work. And yeah. I was the only person capable of doing technical things. So, you know, like the bus factor was insane in the in the company that if I was out for a week, like it could mean that the company, the business could stall or, or just fall apart. So all of this weighing on myself caused me to just write about it. How do I deal with this? Well, there's all these alerts happening. How do I deal with that? And how should I deal with this? You know, just getting it out of my mind turned into a blog post I never, never published. I think it's also a good thing I never published that because it was really just a stream of consciousness kind of approach to dealing with these emotions. But I noticed, hey, this is enjoyable. And what's in this blog post is actually actionable for other people that are in the same situation. So the first thing I did after we came back from our vacation was to make a gigantic list of all the topics that I wanted to talk about. And the first <laughs> thing that, that I wanted to talk about was actually a series of blog posts um, called the uh, emotional roller coaster of running a bootstrap SaaS business, something like this. And there's a couple of articles in this series, three or four that I've written so far, because I was really focused on my mental health at that point, because I was at that state, right, in this kind of mental, fragile state. And that subsided after a while. And I looked into other topics, like how to start a business, how to sell a business, how to run a business, and, you know, how to grow a business. And I had this list of 100 different different topics 
that I wanted to write about. So I thought, okay, if I want to start a blog, I need to have at least a dozen or so posts to start with so that people could actually see value and follow. It was already in my mind that I wanted to build like a, a thing that grows over time. And I wrote a couple, I wrote like six or seven, maybe eight, nine, ten blog posts. It took me a couple of weeks and then I had them done and I just like spaced them out and and put them into the blog backdated them a bit so it looked like you had like seven days between each of them although i wrote them all at the same time but i guess right. that is a, a writer's dirty secret i guess when you start a blog right <laughs> and then i had all these topics that i still hadn't even touched so i thought okay gonna write one every week because what else am i gonna do <laughs> right i i didn't have anything to do and after like a week or so world of warcraft became less interesting than i thought it would be so I, I just went and, and wrote about all these different topics. And over time, first off, my audience grew, right? I had, I think, 400 people who followed me on Twitter initially before I launched the, the blog. But with selling the business and we went, Danielle and I, we went to MicroConf Europe in Dubrovnik in, in Croatia. And we had a little, like an audience talk, like a visitor talk, like 10 minutes or something, not even that. I'm just talking about the sale of the business in front of all of these SaaS founders, which was awesome, right? We both got to say like what we did in the company to make it more sellable and our, our, the purchases were there. People that acquired us were there and I met a lot of cool people, made a lot of friends and all of a sudden my, my Twitter account went up because obviously mm. like once you have this kind of publicity, you can leverage that and tell more stories. So over time, my, my Twitter follower account shot up and consistently providing one blog post a week, that was my initial thing, and then turning it into a newsletter, which people subscribe to, right? So you have to um, actually provide one thing a week, which was both an accountability thing for me and something nice for people that can actually get new content and then turning it into a podcast once a week by just essentially talking into this very microphone, reading my podcast, but didn't do much else. That, that was the only thing I did, but it's just turning the content into these multiple use cases. I built this audience of people who were expecting to get some sort of content from me every single week. So that kind of kept my pace going. I knew people were going to, they were looking forward to Friday because they were going to get the, the the newsletter and they expect the podcast to show up automatically. So I better get going. So that's that's what my week to this day still looks like. Like on Monday yeah. and Tuesday, I write and, and then I record maybe on, on Wednesday or on, on Thursday and Friday. Everything is scheduled to go out at the exact same time. So, mm. yeah, accountability. It's pretty much all, all it is. Like first starting something and then keeping at it until people actually want me to do it. And then I have to do it. Yeah. And the amazing part is that then all that content sort of got bundled, edited and added to right. to create the zero to sold book, which has been, at least from my perspective, uh, a great success. And uh, I've loved it as a reader. And I think that it's been an amazing sort of addition to the community. And for the sake of time, you know, zero to sold is basically sort of your compendium, your advice for how to bootstrap a software or sort of uh, tech based business and, and sort of build it in a way that is, you know, has all the ingredients to be a sellable business in the future, whether you decide to uh, sell it or not. But what was the sort of the, the the process like? Sort of building the the anticipation for it, the launch for it, marketing it, getting it out there, um, and actually getting it in, into people's hands as well. Because marketing a book is not an easy task. It's also one of those things that's a little bit in a, sort of in a, in a black box. But I'm, I'm curious, sort of, to satiate my own fascination of how you went about getting this book into people's hands. That looks like, you know, I think it was number one small business section on Amazon for quite some time. And, and it looks yep. by all means uh, to be a successful book. 
Well, thank you so much for the kind words. It's always nice to, to hear that level of appreciation because uh, we're all hiding away in our little Corona lives right now. So thank you <laughs> for that. Yeah, th that has been a whole thing. Like uh, I probably could talk for hours about this whole process, like from the beginning of like writing. I didn't even know I was writing a book. Like literally I was, I was writing blog posts and then most of them were just all over the place, right? Like, like I said, talked about starting a business, growing a business, selling a business, thinking of a business, talking about like how to do customer service through intercom, super specific themes and super general themes. But over time, what I noticed in, in writing about it, one, a different thing every week, the certain themes were always there. And if I were to look at all the posts that I had written and put them in a particular order, that would be a structure. Like it actually followed a certain structure. There was a beginning part where it's all about business idea generation and validation. And there was this part of actually getting your hands dirty and building the thing and trying to find customers. And then this part about, yeah, making this business stable so it can become sellable and then selling it, right? These four things were always there. And what I did initially, I never thought about writing a book, but I thought, okay, maybe I can turn this into like a guide, a compendium. It's just a collection of my articles that somebody who needs to read through the whole thing could find a nice and easy, easily browsable compendium for. So I did this in, in January 2019, must have been, no, 2020? Man, that was last year, huh? Yeah, January 2020, was it? Yes, I, I think so. And, and I, I just pulled it all together linked to my little articles and then I, I put like placeholder segments in there as well for other things that I wanted to talk about and somebody was reading this compendium which was I think like 50,000 words something like that maybe 25,000 don't quote me on that but they were saying hey if this was a pdf that I could download I would pay you 10 bucks for this it was like, oh, really? This is actually an info product that I could sell? And then they were saying, hey, if, if, if you fill this up and if it's an actual book, this would be amazing. So I thought, okay, I guess I have 50% of a book pre-written. Good thing I did that. And I just continued the rest of the book and finished it. So that, that's how that worked. So essentially, half of my book was already out there. So the content that would drive people to my book was already on my blog. And the great thing was while I wrote the rest of the book, I wrote the next content for my blog. So I'll, I'll, I would write a chapter for my book. I would take it, post it one week, record it, talk with two people about it. They would give me feedback. I could work that into the book. Next chapter, next week, write this thing. It was this whole process. The book was essentially written in public without me or anybody else knowing. <laughs> it was mm. accidental, but it was great. So I, I got a lot of, of the content of the book out there to promote the future product. So I used my book's content to promote the book itself, right? I didn't just talk about what would be in the book. I would give people what would be in the book in a different right. format. And that built this whole anticipation in this community that was also growing from understanding that, oh, here's something that if I follow this over time will produce a lot of knowledge, right? So I had these... 400 people initially followed me on Twitter when I released the book on, on June 29th in 2020, I had 4,000 followers. I had 10x my follower count just from consistently producing the thing that would eventually turn into the product that people could buy. And once I launched, I, I launched on Twitter and I guess on Product Hunt, but we get, we get to that in a second. I had one big tweet a thread, I guess, where I would say, hey, Zero to Soul this out. You all know it from the guide. You all know it from my blog. Look at this. Like, here's the, the table of contents and here's what I talk about and here's an excerpt and here's what I wanna, wanted it to be and here's how the book came to be and how people were involved and all of this gigantic thread. And 
I just put that out there, asked people to retweet it, obviously DMing people that I knew had a lot of reach and say, hey, this is going on. Could you maybe please? Would be really nice. So I also previously to that sent copies to all my heroes out there, all the other authors mm. th that I like, like Nir Eyal with Hooked or John Warlow who wrote Built to Sell. And I sent them a copy of, copy of the book and they responded to me and they retweeted my thing because I had given them something. So obviously they felt wouldn't hurt to reciprocate, right? So I now had all this buzz going. I think I got a thousand likes in a day or, or like maybe 800 and then the rest of them trickled in. And the, the numbers just shot up. People bought it on Amazon because I, I was publishing it as a, a KDP project, a Kindle Direct Publishing, which means you can put it up there as an ebook or as a print book so people were now actually ordering printed version of my book on day one it was awesome and they were showing they were actually showing screenshots of the kindles for the the ones who um, got it on amazon or on gumroad where i also offered the whole thing having my cover on it and they took a screen like a selfie with it so i used that for marketing i i just retweeted everybody who yeah showed a picture of themselves with the book and a week later when the first print versions arrived people put it on their cats or on their dogs and took a picture of it or just on their desks <laughs> or something i have a picture still of somebody that had their baby boy hold my book they took a pic of the baby it was awesome right so it it was just really this kind of social proof stuff that happened around this launch that I just amplified. And my audience grew and grew. I think I got a thousand new um, followers in a day just from this launch on Twitter. And then over time, I used all these little tweets that people had. I even had a, a summary thread where I took everybody who sent me a picture and I kind of talked about every single person like this person sent me a picture they're doing this project they're working on this they're awesome this person sent the picture they're working for this company they're awesome i just did that with everybody who sent me a picture that was a, a very successful thing too so that's what i learned in in my time at feedback panda is that the social proof people's opinion of you and them talking about you in a positive way that's the thing you want you don't need mm. to sell more of your book to to make more money, you just need to entice people to talk about your product. That will sell off your book, right? The, yeah. the the advertising is in the engagement with people, and and that's kind of what my current book is about as well. This whole process of engagement. It's not just yeah. content. It's, it's not just yeah, just throwing stuff out there, hoping it will stick. It's building relationships with people and meaningful ones, honest ones. I I still am extremely grateful for every single of these persons out there who took the time to just even like my tweet right or retweet it or take a picture or like i couldn't ask for this i certainly didn't ask for it but they did and it's awesome right i'm super grateful for that and showing that and being believable because i, I guess you could fake being happy about stuff but I, i'm just genuinely happy about it that engaged people to a level where they again took my marketing that i should have done and did it themselves for me like mm. just a couple days ago, like a week or two, I released, finally released the audiobook for Zero to Sold because that took a while. You know, I'm, I'm doing this for the first time in my life. First time writer, first time publishment, yeah. publisher, first time whatever. So I, I have no idea how stuff works. But finally, the audiobook is out there. So I put a little launch thread out there as well, pinned it to my Twitter profile so that everybody visiting me would see it. And then again, people took pictures of their, their their audible purchasing screen or they they showed it on their phone listening to it right it's just the, the community really helps you if you help them and and mm. that is a, a process that is just really self-amplifying if you allow for it to be and then yeah. that's yeah that's how how zero to sold happened and that's how i expect at least the embedded entrepreneur my next thing to happen as well 
Yeah. So let's talk about The Embedded Entrepreneur, which is your new upcoming book. And I'm, is that like the, the official title? No, I know at first so, it was yeah, uh, that's at this first. point. So the, the whole thing about this book <laughs> is that it's an audience driven book about the audience driven process. Right? right. Like the whole point is that I, I want to tell people how to build products, how to build businesses while focusing on their audience from day one or day minus one. Mm. Even, right. Like from, right from the start. So I kind of would do myself a disservice if I wouldn't write the book with my audience in mind from day one. So I inv involve people from the beginning, both in what I should be writing about. There's a website that I have, embeddedentrepreneur.com, where people can actually submit ideas that they want to see in the book. And the more I see those ideas, the more they're going to be in the book. And they can sign up for like alpha readers, which right now there's like 550 people reading my current draft of the book, which I share with them using a platform for collaborative sharing and editing so there's like like half a thousand people who are reading my book right now even though it's not out but they are telling me hey this line doesn't work for me what does this mean or this is way too slow like it's a it's a process i wanted to for the whole thing to be collaborative from the start and the name the original name for the book was audience first right it's probably why you mentioned this because you, you know the old name and because i thought right. hey audience first that's like hey, putting your audience first and like thinking of your audience at all times but turns out that's not what people understand audience first to mean right mm. in a in a more commonly understood meaning it's like okay build an audience then sell them something so it's the most basic understanding and that's almost too ingrained in people's minds already for me to write a book with that name and then talk about a completely or not completely different but slightly different much more elaborate process right it's still about mm. building an audience building a brand and engaging with your audience building meaningful relationships and building for your audience with your audience uh, with your audience in mind essentially but audience first is too strict a term to actually mean this Hence the name yeah. change, which is triggered again by a Twitter thread. I wrote about it. Hey, this is the name for the book. What do you think about it? How does it resonate with you? And while some people said, hey, that's exactly what I thought about, there was a large percentage of people who said, hey, this is not what audience first means. Like what you mean is like audience driven or audience focused or audience centric, but not audience first. So I was like, okay, you are my future readers. You are going to buy the book. So if you tell me this is false advertising for you, then I will change the name. And there was a great suggestion in there and just about embedded or immersed. So I thought, yeah, embedded entrepreneur. This is this is a mouthful. So let's confuse everybody by using this. So that's that's what I ended up um, using at this point. But I think that's the final name, at least the cover designs that I currently am having a design contest for. They are with that title in mind, like both for the imagery and, and the type and stuff. Yeah. Yes, that, well, that's the... The long answer to a short question. <laughs> for the record, I love it. I love both Thanks. of them, but I think they're they're both great. I'd love to get into some of the concepts of the book, but I actually wanted sure. to start with maybe playing a little bit of uh, Devil's Advocate, if I can, sure. for a second, and sort of play on you know this whole backstory about sort of the the concept of the book and and the name and sort of the name change. You know, some people would say that there are people, plenty of people who don't have sort of an audience, quote unquote, or mm -hmm. you know they don't have some sort of high profile persona, but they you know still built a successful business or were successful by some regard, you know, so it's kind of just like, forget about it. You don't need it. What, what do you think about that? What do you say to those types of people? Well, I, I think I, I, that's one of the one, one, actually a chapter in the books. I have an abundance mindset. Like I don't believe in zero sum games. So just as much as I think bootstrapping is amazing. Hey, if you want to take VC money and build the next unicorn, go right at it or take a loan or ask your parents to fund you or whatever. 
right? Like build, build any business you want. I personally think that bootstrapping is one of the best ways to build financial security in your life. But hey, that is my opinion. And I'm one of millions of people. Like I'm not special. I'm just somebody with some experience in the field. And the same goes for audience building. I, I've seen people who have been hiding in their caves building the most amazing projects. They go out and they, they build a business around it and you don't even know they exist because they're so secretive that they, they you don't even have a Twitter handle or social media presence. They don't need it. They, they found a solution to somebody's problem. They validated everything, build a business, that's fine. And then there's people who build gigantic audiences and sell them stuff and that works too, right? To me, it's like, um, I'm only talking about what I know. And I will advocate for the things that, that worked for me and others where there's an actual meaningful thread that you can follow that are helpful to people. Just as much, again, bootstrapping worked great for us. And I see a lot of people in the space bootstrapping successfully. Everybody's trying to, not everybody's winning. Like, obviously, this is not a sure approach. No, no one size fits all, right? There's, there is no silver bullet. That's it, it, why entrepreneurship is entrepreneurship, because risk mm. is always there. And the same goes yeah. for audience building, right? If you want to build an audience around yourself as a personal brand and your business as a professional brand, some will fail. Like, some will not be able to build a nice personal brand. I mean, yeah, you, you have to be quite a disaster of a person if nobody wants to follow you even though you help them right but <laughs> right. you know like the, there's always consulting you know i don't know the, the, the thing is again audience building is a great way of building something meaningful that goes beyond your business that's why i advocate for it because not yeah. like right now what do i have i have a couple books out i have permanent link which is another SaaS business that i'm kind of doing on the side it's it's not the biggest project it has like well, I think one or two paying customers, but it has one or two paying customers. I have like $5 MRR. That's, that's what's happening. But even though any of these things could fail, like particularly that business, because it's a SaaS, let's just as an example, and $5 MRR, what is this really, right? I could probably turn it off and it would be fine. But if that fails, the audience that I've built around building it and building my personal brand will always be there. So the next SaaS mm. that I start if it fails or not, hey, it, I will increase just the amount of people who think I'm interesting from sharing my story, from building in public, from sharing the good and the bad, from being somebody on a journey, just like all those people that I listen to on the train from Berlin to Hamburg and back, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what I want to be. And that's what I advocate for with the book. But hey, if you have a book that is an audience last and you make a persuasive case about not ever building an audience and doing stealth mode for the rest of your life, I will probably buy it, read it and agree with you for certain businesses, for certain projects, and certain kinds of people. And again, abundance mindset, right? There's more in the world than we can take away from each other, particularly in our space, which is exploding anyway, right? Like if I write a good tweet and you write a good tweet, we're not competing. It's just two good tweets. <laughs> it's mm, kind of, right? right? No, I, I think that's a that's a good way to think about it because it's not really a binary either or scenario. It's like you said, it's entrepreneurship is more an art than a science. There are multiple right ways to do things, and there are always exceptions to the rules. There are always you know better ways, possibly depending on sort of your ideal situation and and your strengths. But there's no right or wrong, right? So it's a it's a sort of false false comparison there. But I want to get into how do you actually live and and do and act out a sort of an audience first or an audience driven approach to building a business. How do you think about potential audiences to serve, you know, if they have potential problems like the order of operations, market size, validation, like walk me through sort of the, the process a little bit. 
Well, let me let me start reading <laughs> from my draft. No, I'm just right. gonna, <laughs> not going to do that. I think it's at fifty three thousand words. That would like be slightly too much for the uh, remaining time. But yeah, um, the, the, high the, level. I, <laughs> the idea is to do audience discovery at, as the very first thing. Like, who do I want to serve? That's the, the biggest question. Because if you if you start with an idea, I want to build Tinder for cats or something, then you already have way too much in assumptions than if you just start with I want to help cat owners. Or something, right? I want to help software engineers. I want to help marketers. I want to help marketers who, who work for small agencies. I want to help marketers who work for small agencies that are specialized in, I don't know, hair salons or something. Like Find whatever audience you really want um, to serve because they resonate with you. They, you have some sort of affinity for them. And in the book, I outline an actual process to step through all of the audiences that you can imagine and where to find them and, and how to qualify them along those couple of categories that I call like awareness. Like you have to know who you want to serve to be able to serve them. That's the first one. Then there's affinity. How much do I like it? How much do I want to help these people? I can tell you, I don't want to help tax advisors. For some reason, I feel the, these are the most boring people in the world. And sorry for everybody who is uh, married to one or is one sorry for that but it's just the people that i know that work in, in tax are just not interesting i don't think i could build something for them right other people might particularly if you're engaged to one or you know the the idea is affinity is important i i if i want to build a SaaS business for the next 10 years i better like the people that i work for and then you look for opportunity in that field like do people have interesting problems that i want to solve is there is there anything in there actually that that would resonate with me and then you look for market size which is also important right like is are there enough people that could sustain me and a couple competitors in this niche or is that just 500 people that i would serve and how much would i need to charge for them would they even pay for this which is the next point welcome like do they have budget like, do they have a budget for these kind of solutions? Do they already pay for stuff? Again, it's it's in, in very specific order and you can step through the process to find an audience to start with. But you, you notice that I'm not talking about building anything at this point. It's really just about finding the people that you want to serve. And then you go into an, an, an audience analysis mode. You, you embed yourself in their communities. You go into, I don't know, the, the, the Facebook groups, you go into Twitter and you follow these people, go into the little Twitter bubbles, you go into public and private forums where people hang out, the Telegram groups and all these communities where you can, can find those people and you listen. You shut up and you listen. Right? That's the idea. Find out what are their critical problems. What do they complain about? What do they ask for recommendations for what do they ask for alternatives for right you have this kind of eugene schwartz um, awareness scale and all different kinds of messages that are on every single item on that list like the, the unaware they will ask for does this work and the people who are product aware will ask for okay so i know this exists so what kind of alternatives do you have what's cheaper right you have different questions for different levels of awareness you figure out what problem you could solve and then only then do you start really looking into, okay, how can I solve this? So the idea of your business and your product comes way after actually starting to think about who do I want to help and going to where they are, which is the embedded part, right? Audience embedding or em em embedded yeah, entrepreneurship is that. Go to where those people are, hang out with them. Mm follow their newsletters, read the news they read, uh, read follow their conversations, learn what language they speak and start asking questions, become a person that is genuinely, uh, genuinely interested in that community. Maybe start sharing your own knowledge, become a person that has some sort of reputation in the community and then work with the people around you to build a product that serves their needs. 
And that's that's the whole point. And then the, the last part is building an audience around yourself, which I just kind of hinted at, like how you can leverage these communities. What kind of things can you create? What content can you create? What how does engagement work? Is it more important to engage with people or to yell meaningless stuff into the void? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, like these kind of questions are something that you should ask yourself and have a strategy for a schedule for. And I go into detail in there, too. But there's like this whole embedded part and then these, the audience building part. That's that's what the book is about. And that's what I think the, the perfect strategy is, because essentially that's what I'm doing with the book. Like the, the book itself is the product that I embedded myself in a community, listen to people's problems and then build the thing with them to and build an audience around it at the same time. Like zero to sold is essentially a blueprint for the business that I built, but also a blueprint for itself. Like the book that I wrote is kind of built on the lessons that I teach in the book. And it's the same thing for this book. Like the lessons in the book are directly applied to the book launch and book publishing and book writing process as well. Because I, I like meta stuff apparently. So that's, that's right, what's happening. Right, Yeah, Zero to Soul is very meta for Feedback Panda and the Embedded Entrepreneur is very meta for you personally yeah, as, exactly. as Harvey. What, to, to wrap up on, on the book, one more concept I wanted to touch on was this idea of the audience audition. Could you talk about that concept yeah. and sort of how you think about it? Because I, I think it's a really interesting and sort of new concept. Yeah, I, I, that's the thing that I've witnessed other people be very successful at and, and myself too in building a while building an audience when I didn't have many followers. You, like, that's, that's why I always say like screaming pointless content into the void, right? If you have 20 followers and you write the best blog post on something, maybe 10 of them will see it. Maybe one of them will click it. If you're lucky, they read past the first couple of lines. It's just if you don't have enough followers, your amazing content will go nowhere. But your insights and your personality, that's stuff that you can actually bring somewhere else. And the audience audition is the process of going to somebody who already has an audience and just being there talking to that person, exposing yourself to their followers. Like somebody in, in, the, in the software engineering space, like DHH, David Hanemeyer Hansen, creator of Ruby on Rails, is a big person, right? He just has like millions of followers. And a lot of people try to audience audition with him. You can really watch this in real time. So he posts something, people jump in immediately, reply guy style, and they, tr they try to post something meaningful that other people engage with. Because they know if somebody reads this and they like it, it goes to the top in the replies. And the further up it's in the top of the replies, the more people will see it. And some of them will follow me. Right? And some right. of those people will then become my followers and I can engage with them on their posts and then other people will see it again. So the audience edition is essentially you go to somebody else who has an audience and you say something nice. That's like the basic idea. And if you say something nice and helpful enough and enough times without just being somebody who does this all the time, you still have to be like your unique self, but you know, just add value to somebody else's work, then you will see people trickling into your following. And mm -hmm. audience audition is the, the only and best name I came up with for this. But the idea is just really engage with other people's content and be friendly, helpful, supportive, and nice. I love it. Yeah, I, I tell that to people all the time. It's like, hey, look, if you don't have an audience, just find other people who do and yeah. find a way to engage with them. And one, to sort of, you know, get some exposure to their audience, but two, just to build a relationship with them because then it can lead to some sort of collaboration in the future. You can, you know, move it to DMs, you can chit chat. You never know what's going to come from that, but it's sort of that, that, that practice of engaging with, with those people and auditioning. I, lo I love that concept of it. So last question for you, and then we'll wrap up here is I'd love to kind of take a peek into your personal swipe follower, basically just a, a marketing example or a person or a business you 
you think does marketing well. Is there any sort of example that comes to mind as maybe like a favorite or something even more recent? Well, yeah, I, I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago. I, I'm an, like I said, I'm an avid gamer, but I don't really have that much time to game. So I like to watch other people game. So um, <laughs> just Twitch is, is the example that I, that I would like to talk about here because they, if you are a Twitch streamer, you're essentially an audience builder and a builder in public. Like that is the whole point. Like you need an audience because they need to subscribe to a channel for you to make money of this often very time-consuming uh, job, right? These people sit in front of their computers for 10 plus hours a day playing games over and over again and they, they have to entertain. They have to be good. They have to be in, engaging at all times. So if I want to see yeah. experts at work in audience building and, and marketing and even like monetizing their content, I go there because first off, you see how they appeal to their existing active audience right now by engaging with them in, in chat. Then you see how they how to make money of the situation by either having affiliate links in their Twitch bio or for having affiliate links like on screen in a little text message, like just a, a short URL or something, or how they get donations and how they thank people for donations, thus incurring further donations by people who want their name called out on stream. It's it's the perfect example to uh, for audience building and building in public that I that I can imagine at this point. I really recommend if you want to see how to build an audience just to watch Twitch for a couple hours, just the most mm. watch Twitch streamers and see how they build community, how they make sure that even though they have millions of followers, every single one of those people watching them right now still feels like they're engaged with them. That is the, 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 the ultimate example of, of building um, an audience right now in public, quite literally. It's, it's, it's amazing. So wait, whenever I want to do research, I go watch Twitch for a couple of hours. <laughs> yeah, I love so, it. I yeah, love it. Shady and that is a great example because they're they're so cutting edge. They're so like sort of on the forefront, on the frontier of what's new, how to do things, and and a great example of how to do it well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Arvid, thank you so much for coming on, sharing everything. It's been a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. Best of luck on the new book. I'll have links to everything in the show notes, and appreciate you sharing. Thanks so much. It was awesome. Thanks for the chat we had. Thanks. Thanks again to you, Arvid, for coming on the show and being so transparent. Make sure to check out thebootstrapfounder.com to learn more about Arvid and find the links to everything that he's a part of. If you can spare a moment, click on the link in the show notes and pop on Twitter to thank him for sharing everything today and let him know what you learned as well. To wrap up here, here are a couple of my takeaways. Personally, I 100% agree with Arvid's audience-driven approach rather than a product-driven approach. Seth Godin says, don't find customers for your products, find products for your customers. It's way harder and riskier to build things and then figure out how to market them rather than building things specifically for an audience you've already been engaging and investing in. I also love his thoughts on the audience audition, as he calls it. Engaging with the people that have the attention and trust of your target audience can be a great way to just plug into the community. Think of it as just participating in the conversation rather than just staying silent. By merely being there and adding something, you're opening up doors to gain followers and friendships and even opportunities that you're probably not even aware of. I also love that Arvid studies and passively watches streamers on Twitch. And it's another great example of how inspiration comes from unexpected places. You know, if you want to learn and grow, get outside of your echo chamber and experience something new. If you've got a question or takeaway you want to share from this episode, you can actually do so in the Swipe Files community. You can chat with guests of the podcast, as well as a bunch of other top-notch marketers. Join a community that will help you do your best work and be prolific. Check it out at swifiles.com slash membership.
You can also get my free newsletter, Marketing Weekly. It's a curated digest of the best marketing content in your inbox every Sunday. And finally, check the show notes for all the important links. And if you could do me a quick favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you are and leave a review so more people like yourself can find the show and help me grow the podcast. And with that, I'll see you in the next one.